Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast this week is Paul Zak, founder and chief immersion officer at Immersion. 80% of movies out of Hollywood lose money. Last year, Netflix spent almost $10 billion creating content that did not hit strong enough to warrant a second season. So how do we not know at this stage of humanity if a movie is going to be great or not, or if you know a series on Netflix will be great or not? That's a lot of effort put into content that isn't you know, creating real value for humans. It's a lot of wasted energy and focus. What we've done is we've created technology, as you said, a small wearable, like an Apple Watch, Samsung, all that. We can take signal from all those things. Yeah. Understand what your brain really loves and also what frustrates you and do that with really high frequency. You can see exactly what brains are doing in real time. So you can pivot, you can audit what you've done in the past and you can create you know, higher impact experiences. This is Paul. He's a scientist, entrepreneur and author of several books. Paul's two decades of research have taken him from the Pentagon to 1450 boardrooms to the rainforest of Papua New Guinea. All this in a quest to understand the neuroscience of human connection, human happiness, and effective teamwork. His academic lab and companies he has started develop and deploy neuroscience technologies to solve real problems faced by real people. Paul is the founding director of the Center of Neuroeconomic Studies and professor of economics, psychology, and management at Claremont Graduate University. He has degrees in mathematics and economics from San Diego State University a PhD in economics from University of Pennsylvania and postdoctoral training in neuroimaging from Harvard. In 2017, he founded Immersion, which is on a mission to build a platform that would democratize neuroscience and make every one of us look like a hero. And that inspired me. And hence I invited Paul to my podcast. We explore why so many resources and efforts are wasted because of the challenges that we face in understanding what people really think and feel. We discuss what can be when we use technology to augment people in understanding these experiences and how that helps to create better products, better services and high performing organizations. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, 
how to create better products and experiences if we stop asking and instead use technology to get unbiased feedback from people. Secondly, what exponential impact we can create when we not only know what people really care about, but actually be equipped to adjust instantly to give them experiences they really care about. And thirdly, why more data is not always better to create results that impact. Well, hi Paul. Thank you for being a guest on my podcast today. Thanks, Todd. It's a pleasure to have you here. And I got recommended to you by, by one of the people that have also been on my podcast, Christian Kromme, the author of uh, Humanification. And he, yeah, he mentioned a couple of trigger words and that caught my attention. So that's why I started to look into what immersion does your company. And that's where I found a match and immediately connected with you. So, well, here we are. Before we start talking about your company and, and what you do to help your customers look like a hero, which I really like that phrase, a little bit about you. If you would have to describe yourself with a couple of words to characterize you, what words would you use? That's a great question. I'm a tool guy, fundamentally. So I'm 25 years, been a professor at a private university in Southern California, Claremont Graduate University. And the scientific work I've done has focused around building tools to understand what these really interesting species called humans are doing. Yeah, exactly. So that's, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about how it sparked for your company, but talking a little bit about your company immersion and to make that connection to the human part, because it's all about augmentation and about, well, like you say, make people look like a hero. What is the big idea behind the company? Really figuring out what humans do and why they do it is difficult. Right now, you know, we ask people, or we observe them and try to infer what they're, what they're doing or going to do. So for clients who need to really understand what humans are gonna do, you've gotta have a better technology. So neuroscience is certainly a way to understand how people process information, but neuroscience is slow, it's expensive, it's stuck in a lab. So <laughs> we created the first software as a service software platform that lets anybody measure what the brain values and therefore predict accurately what people will do. So the big idea is if you need to know if the content you're creating or the experience you're crea creating is going to be extraordinary, you've got to measure that effect. You can't guess, you can't hope, you can't believe, you have to know. So to do that, you've got to measure the right things. Okay. So can you give an example of that? Yeah, movies. So a lot of our clients are in the, the movie industry. And so about 80% of movies out of Hollywood lose money. Last year, Netflix spent almost $10 billion creating content that did not hit strong enough to warrant a second season. So how do we not know at this stage of humanity if a movie is going to be great or not, or if you know a series on Netflix will be great or not? So to me, it's a lot of wasted resources that's a lot of effort put into content that isn't you know, creating real value for humans. It's a lot of wasted energy and focus. And so I'm a really cheap guy, Ton. I hate to see resources wasted. It hurts me. And so part of this is just how do we focus resources on best and highest use? And again, if you just ask people, gosh, do you like the, the movie that I'm producing? How, how about these dailies? Oh, yeah, you're awesome, right? So it's very difficult to get really uh, particularly high frequency data, um, not only on good or bad, but how about for this 20 second segment of this TV show? Is that great or not great? You know, how do we even measure great? So how do I create a much more valuable world for the humans around us? So the, the larger arc 
of the company is helping human beings curate their lives for greater happiness. So really finding out what makes individuals happy and what frustrates you. And that's kind of hard to articulate, right? So my dog just walked in my home office here. If you heard some noise, my dog makes me really happy. Once in a while, he gets too rough. He's a German shepherd. He gets too rough and he tries to bite my arm yeah. a little bit, right? So that I can tell. But you know, how much happier am I interacting with my dog versus my child versus going to a movie? It's really hard to assess that. Yeah. I mean, it's almost, go, it's almost go, I mean, yeah, it almost goes back to the point of how can we use humans in the best possible way to, well, to prep them or to make them deliver their best work at the end. That's what it's all about, uh, if I'm correct. And live their best life. Exactly right. And so okay. think of immersion as a neural prosthetic. It's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> simple piece of technology that lets you do what your brain kind of can do, but can do very imperfectly better by measuring your unconscious emotional responses to experiences. So I think we all suffer from this Freudian hangover, as I call it, in which you think, uh -huh. you know, if I just probe with the right questions, ask you about your mom, I can make your unconscious conscious. And that's not true at all. That's absolutely malarkey. So, you know, you can measure using technology unconscious emotional responses, but those are not very well articulated by your conscious part of your brain. Yeah. And that's, that's where technology comes in. Yeah, well, well, I mentioned in the beginning that Christian Kroma introduced me to you, and that's why I started looking into what immersion does. One of the things he told me is that you got a product that's like it's, wear, it's a wearable, correct me if I'm wrong, and that it allows businesses to understand how motivated their people are, whether they are up to the job, whether they like what they're doing or not. And with, with that information, really yeah, optimize that so that you get the maximum leverage, I would say. Is that correct? Mostly, right? So yeah, the technology we have applied to employee performance mm -hmm. really flips the script so that employees can curate their own work lives, just like we curate our lives outside of work. So in the old view, right, my boss comes to me and says, hey, Tom, you know, we're short an accountant and we need to have you do some more accounting this month. And, and you got to say, oh, okay, I guess I got to do that. I don't really like accounting, but I remember it from school and I guess I can do it. What we've done is we've created technology, as you said, a small wearable, like an Apple Watch, Samsung, all that. We can take signal from all those things. Yeah. Understand what your brain really loves and also what frustrates you and do that with really high frequency. So potentially second by second. And then we can have you work and figure out you and your, your manager can have this conversation, which is objective now, that says, actually, what Ton gets energy from at work, what his brain is turned on by, is working with his team and working with clients. And when he's doing spreadsheets, he's really frustrated. It's not the thing for him. It's not that you can't do it. It's that you're going to put a lot more discretionary effort into the yeah. stuff that you love. That's just human nature. So by having that knowledge for your manager, but also for that employee, you can do job crafting towards best and highest use. And, mm. you know, again, we don't really know that. Someone said famously, I forgot who, maybe Peter Drucker, you know, the war for talent is over, talent has won. Well, if talent has won, how do I figure out where my talents are best deployed? And now we sort of do that haphazardly. We sort of take a job, we maybe work in the gig economy, you know, we're, we're just sort of guessing at it. So again, I always want to come from this from a scientific perspective. Let's just measure. And the sort of core question we have left out 
now that you put me on my soapbox, Ton, you bad person, you know, I have developed over the last 20 years of basic research, you know, a, a technology to measure what the brain values. And so once we have that technology, once we made it available in the cloud, then anyone can use that. So you could use it again for entertainment, you could use it for work. Let me make a small interruption here. Baldi has made an excellent remark about how he's leveraging technology to unlock remarkable value for his customers, enabling them to create high-performing teams and organizations, not by making people work harder or make them do things more efficient, but compose teams of people that each can create maximum impact because they're doing what they are best at and what they really love. And this is a perfect example of delivering impact by creating something that's different, not just better. It's about creating new value possibilities by approaching the problem from the perspective of the outcome. These are two traits that define remarkable software businesses. Traits that you can master as well. How? Simply get a copy of my book at Amazon or any portal where they sell books online. Or join my tribe, where you can level up with tech entrepreneurs like Paul. Check out valueinspiration.com to know how to qualify to join. Back to the interview. We can ask about you know, the kind of education and training. So we have clients in the education and training space. Yeah. And, you know, I have kids in school. Some of those teachers are fabulous and some are horrible. And right now, the only feedback we get is, you know, what the kids say or maybe grades, which are a very kind of weak measure. But why not measure what we're doing? So I'm still teaching my, my graduate course in behavioral neuroscience. And we're teaching remotely because of the pandemic. Yeah. Let me tell you, I use Zoom all the time. But Teaching a three-hour class, even to graduate students, the first time I did that, I was horrendously bad. Honestly, I was terrible. And so I started really assessing myself and actually using our own company's technology to measure how effectively I was communicating to students. So this neurologic measure that my lab discovered that we call immersion is when you're attentive to the experience you're having, but it's also emotionally resonant for you. So that emotional resonance means I really care about the experience I'm having. I'm having. And when I care about it, I'll put more effort into it. I'll remember it better. I'm much more likely to act on it and I'll share it, for example, on social media. And so these are, you know, kind of key takeaways that we think are kind of measures of impact of an experience I create, purchases, recall, like branding, recall, sharing. But at the same time, we don't have good predictors of those because we just ask people what they think. So anyway, I think we've, we've broken through that. So as we said before we start recording, this is human plus. We're just giving humans this additional power, which is to really be able to measure your own unconscious emotional experience. Yeah, and I mean, then the empowerment comes from, okay, understanding subconsciously, possibly even, what you really get excited about, where your passion comes to life, where you really start to put in that, that extra effort versus the areas where you're not so excited during the day. Does it give you signals on that? I mean, how does a typical employee that is having this particular device, how do they treat that? Or is it something that maybe is, is much more used at the corporate level to, to optimize the whole, work, the whole workforce? Both. And so I think it's important that the employee himself or herself gets feedback. So it's a mobile app that sends data up to the cloud. And a couple times a day when that employee has an, a, a really a peak immersion experience or a really uh -huh. deep frustration experience, our app pings an employee and you have a pull down menu and it says, Hey, what just happened to you? Well, that was interesting. And so it basically builds a catalog for you an individual, but also for a supervisor's workforce. So yeah. I can begin to optimize and figure out, Hey, you know, what is really going well here? What are people putting a lot of effort into what they, what do they dig and what stuff is not going so well that we perhaps need more training on 
or I yeah. need to maybe have another group of people do. And so again, once I get objective data on that, you know, yeah. it changes the whole conversation. Yeah, that's true. And the same, of course, so you can do this, you can apply this to so many different use cases. I mean, the movie example that you gave in the beginning is, is, a, is a very clear one on that. It's like understanding when people see it, what's going on in their mind. Yeah. And actually we have a new client who's using this in the health domain. So, you know, we know there's lots of data showing that when people are happier, they're actually healthier. Their immune systems are stronger, which is very important now. And, and they get sick less and, and they live longer. So if we want to have uh, particularly older folks who are going to be happy and healthy, do you really know what makes you happy and healthy? I mean, kind of, sort of, but not very precisely. And so True. I want to get yeah. rid of kind of, sort of, and turn it into data. And then I can say, oh, you know what? You know, I really like these three, say for, for older folks who are living in a retirement home, these are my kind of three people that really make me super happy. And these other folks over here, they kind of frustrate me. Like I have lunch with them, but I'm not enjoying it. So then I can begin to, again, curate my life and for greater happiness. Fascinating. Yeah, that's, that you can just measure that from, yeah, from what's happening in the body. It is very interesting. So what was the aha moment? What sparked the idea? Oh, a great question. The aha moment was I was coming back from a week in Washington, D.C. I live in Southern California. It's a long plane ride. And like all of us, Ton, you know, I love the plane because I get all that six hours of work, quiet time and work. But anyway, it was a turbulent flight. I had trouble typing. And so I said, okay, well, the sky gods have told me I should, instead of working, watch the movie. And because I'm busy, I don't watch a lot of movies. And so I was, one of the choices was the Clint Eastwood movie, Million Dollar Baby. Won Academy Award for Best Picture. I'm like, okay, Clint Eastwood, Best Picture. I'll, I'll watch that movie. And if you've seen that movie, it's a father-daughter story. And I have two daughters. So anyway, I'm watching the movie on the plane. And at the end of the movie, the gentleman next to me pokes me in the shoulder. And he said, do you need some help? And he asked that because at the end of the movie, which is, you've seen it, it's a very, very emotional ending. I wasn't just crying. I like every orifice in my face was exuding, you know, fluids. Like I lost it. I completely lost it on the airplane. And that was really weird. And then when I kind of recovered, I put my scientist hat on. I'm like, how did a movie have this effect on my brain in which I was just sobbing uncontrollably? Like that's really weird to me. And so I brought it back to my lab and we started running experiments using movie clips and just seeing if we could actually measure this physiologic response. And as you know, I'm kind of moderately famous for discovering the behavioral effect of oxytocin, this, this uh, brain chemical is yeah. associated with greater empathy and cooperation with, with strangers. And so that was one of our hypotheses. And anyway, so when the big problem in neuroscience, a long answer to a short question, uh, the big problem in neuroscience is we call a signal extraction problem that most of what listeners' brains are doing right now is keeping them alive in a teeny little bit responding to my voice, the information in it. So finding those little ribbons around all that background noise is difficult. And one way neuroscientists do this is you match a behavioral task with the experimental protocol. So we use public service announcements as a way to, that, that tend to be very emotional to see what how that emotion is processed in the brain. We also let people donate money to these charities that we were using their videos of. And then we started building predictive models and these started with blood draws. So I've taken blood from over 10,000 people to measure changes in neurochemicals. And at some point, the aha moment really was, why don't we work backwards? If we know what causes people to respond in an objectively observable way to an experience, yep then why don't we build a test bed so that all experiences can be tested 
And we're very lucky to get funding from the U.S. military and the U.S. intelligence community who are interested in persuasion, as you can imagine, and then started this company yep. about three years ago to make it available to everybody. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that's, and it opens, if you start thinking about it, it opens so many different opportunities to create what you call a human plus, to allow humans to do things they've never been able to do before. And yeah, get them to be more valuable to society at large. So technology company, you, come, you started the company Immersion, product is available right now. So what, I mean, what always fascinated me for, and also for my, my audience is what specifically, that's a very interesting word, did you do to give it yeah, the value that it has today to make it remarkable? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, we're just starting to scale up. So we're working really hard on that. I don't think we have that nailed, but I think what makes it remarkable is at scale, real time, real neuroscience. So if yeah. you have a question about the quality of your experience, an amusement park company, a meeting, Hey, we're doing remote meetings now, right? So we can't actually yeah. get together in person, remote training. How good is that compared to in-person as compared to, say, reading a book by yourself? We don't know. We're kind of guessing. So what makes it remarkable is that anyone can use this platform with an hour of training and you can see exactly what brains are doing in real time. So you can pivot, you can audit what you've done in the past, and you can create you know, higher impact experiences. And we do have a secret weapon, which is, you know, I do fairly invasive neuroscience research with humans, uh, you know, blood. We do a lot of drug studies to trace out pathways in the brain. And, you know, when we go and demo this technology, you know, I get to roll up your sleeve and put a sensor on your arm. Yeah. So I'm touching you. And I'm, you know, there's that, there's that human experience that I think is really part of understanding this technology, that it is about putting human beings first. It's not about imposing things on anybody. It's really seeing what you love. And if I'm a teacher or a trainer and I'm unable to you know, communicate effectively the material that I want to you know, share with my attendees, it's not because those attendees don't care or are stupid. I'm not doing my job well, right? So I need feedback. I need you know, feedback. And the faster I can get it, the better. So I think that's what makes it remarkable is that you can measure people's brain activity in real time at scale. It's never been done before. And it's so exciting to sit in a room with a bunch of executives and hook them up and give them something, you know, a piece of entertainment or a, or a video or a, you know, a radio program or a song and then watch their brains working in real time. It is kind of addictive actually. (laughs) Well, I mean, what I see in front of me is people running a meeting and I've been in those meetings endless of times i mean some meetings are great and there's good atmosphere there's there's good energy and some are yeah just like you you tear your your hairs out but you have to sit for another hour more just for people that are running the meeting to see that and understand that they have to shift (laughs) is it does it also work that way so that you can see hey wait a minute 80 percent of the audience is now in a different world (laughs) exactly right yeah you can watch that in real time and we also developed something that, that Google made popular about 10 years ago, psychological safety, that uh-huh. the Google analysis showed was the most effective indicator of team performance. And Google developed a survey on, you know, do you feel safe with these people around you? We developed the first physiologic measure of that, yeah. which tells us about readiness to work, readiness to learn. So think of psychological safety as the sort of inverse of anxiety. When you're really anxious, 
your brain is just full, just trying to, you know, keep you from, you know, losing it. So one thing we recommend for teachers and trainers is measure psychological safety in the first three minutes of your course. And if the class is not psychologically safe, do an exercise, take a break, meditate for five minutes, go run around the building, whatever it takes, because it's not going to be effective anyway. So just, yeah. just to cap that off, Ton, one of our longest clients is Accenture. And this has been a great client to work with, and they use our system worldwide to improve their training. Accenture produces a billion dollars for the B of training every year for their employees. Amazing company. And what they found is that if the training is really effective, it can't last more than 20 minutes. So what they do now is they do 20 minutes of instruction, 20 minutes of practice. That is, they have the attendees use the thing they've learned, and then about 20 minutes of reflection on what they've learned, and then a break. So, you know, the, the brain, the neurons in the brain, the brain cells are very much like muscles. When they're fatigued, they get tired and they need, a, they need a chance to recover. So, you know, what we recommend in the training and education space is, you know, stress that brain, make it work really hard, high immersion, and then give it a break, let it recover. And then stress and then break, stress and break. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I mean, that's how you can improve things. So from a technology perspective, and you know, you're coming from a scientific background, you've, you've created a team around you. What decisions in the whole process to, to, to get the product to market were really important to, to, to its success right now? Oh, uh, boy, do we have an hour or two to talk about this? <laughs> I'll just summarize it. I mean, one was really finding these multiple neurologic signals and create an algorithm that combines them in a way that maximize prediction of outcomes. So fundamentally, we're a prediction engine. You know, people don't really need to understand the science behind it necessarily, but it predicts in so many different realms that we've really, you know, convinced ourselves and our clients that this is an effective prediction tool. And this sort of 80% accuracy range for movie ticket sales and TV ratings and which songs will be hits and stuff like that. Really? Um, wow. But yeah, and the second was once we found that, getting rid of these, you know, $50,000 machines we use in my, in my academic laboratory and getting that signal from a small wearable like an Apple Watch. So that took some time. And then the last thing we realized, and this is where the addictive part comes in, is that waiting weeks to get this is just not a very good kind of business approach. Like we all want everything now. So yeah. we end up writing really efficient algorithms in the cloud and that allows us to, to get this data in real-time or near real-time, depending on the strength of a, a wireless signal. So you have the experience and you can watch the effect on brains in real-time. So all three of those were, were pretty significant hurdles. But I this is imagine. 20 years in the making, honestly. I mean, 20 years since we've been doing this basic research. Yeah, that's, that's what it says on your website, yeah. The company doesn't exist for 20 years right now, right? No, no, no. We're under three, two and a half years. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's really doing the basic research. And I also realize, I mean, I mentioned, I mean, really thank the U.S. taxpayers who, who funded a lot of the basic science here, uh -huh. that once you've got something useful, you know, publishing a scientific article, it's nice because you let people know about it, but it's not a tool. It's not a tool until you make it available to a large number of people. And that's why I started companies, a couple companies around the research out of my lab, because I love these tools. I think they're important and useful, and I want to make them available to you know, lots of people. Yeah. And that's, yeah, where the, where the big idea starts to resonate in terms of what you can do with it. And in that process, you, you just highlighted what decisions were really important. Were there any surprising byproducts from what you were doing? 
You know, we were in stealth for two years and we had wonderful clients like Accenture and a couple of movie studios. And we realized that more data is not better. So, you know, as, as sort of research guys, we always think, you know, more is always better, right? But we really began to simplify the interface. So I think, you know, what, what basically anyone creating content would like to know is, is it good or bad? That's a question about benchmark. And the second is, how do I make it better? And that's actually enough. There's a small subset of our clients that want to download that data and build statistical models. But basically, good or bad, how do I make it better? That's enough. So, you know, I think that is really, for anyone listening, you got to be on the front lines. You got you to experience what that customer is experience, yeah. experiencing so that you know how to make that, that product so much better. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Because a lot of the people that I have on my podcast, they're in the AI space. And it's like, the more data, the better. And this is like, I mean, you, you can actually do it with two seconds or 10 seconds, putting it on people's arm on one person and you get, you get a result. So it's, 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 it's not about data at all. It's about capturing yeah, that. Also, that, I think that, we're, that yeah, go ahead, Tom. Sorry. No, go ahead. As I say, also, you know, like some AI technologies, you know, I think the goal of, of what we do is to surprise our clients. So mm-hmm. I think of these little golden nuggets that you do not expect that come out of the data are interesting. So one of those is, is a sort of targeting for content. So we've created algorithms that identify, you know, super fans for your experience. So who are these super fans? We find them neurologically. So think of these people as kind of the positive outliers. They love it so much. That was my dog shaking. If you heard the <laughs> noise in the background. So, you know, people love this so much. Who are those folks? How do you target that? They want to help you spread the word they love this more than anything, and they will work for you. They, they just dig it so much. So finding those neurologically often is very surprising to clients. So as a quick aside on that, we have a client who used our technology in elementary school classrooms. Yep. And I was watching a teacher use our tech, and this was a fifth grade math class in a kind of a low-income uh, school district in California. And the, I talked to the teacher afterwards, and she said, you know, I had this, this little girl in my class. I still remember. Her name was Maria. And she was really quiet. And uh, I just figured, no, she doesn't really like math. And she goes, she was a super fan three days in a row when I started the school year. And so the third day I called her over and I said, hey, you know, it looks like you you really like this class. And she said, this girl just, you know, blossomed. She said, oh, I love math so much. So she ended up using Maria as a kind of a class leader, as a discussion leader. And this little girl absolutely flourished. And yet this teacher had, you know, 25 or 30 other kids she had to keep track of. And this girl was just kind of a, one of those quiet kids. And so having that, again, that prosthetic, that little piece of human plus technology yeah. that helps that teacher who's busy and tired and trying to just, you know, survive her life can really change someone's life, which is amazing to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And I mean, my, the book that I wrote, The Remarkable Effect, is at the end all about creating advocates, giving people the product they will keep talking about. And for that to do it, it has to create those magical moments or to do something that's, yeah, that, that makes people see that they are doing so, that they're getting something different here. So that's an interesting one. And I mean, what you then start to do with, with the end result of this from your product at the end is that you start to create better products for yourself, better classes in this case, or a more engaged classroom or more engaged customer, customer group, whatever. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a critical element. Talking about that, let me see. Talking about learnings here. I mean, I wrote my book, what I call Tech Entrepreneurs on a Mission. 
for companies that want to do something, something big and meaningful. And I highlighted in the book, or revealed the 10 traits of what I believe well, puts together a remarkable software business. You created one yourself, started two and a half years ago. What do you believe are one or two traits that are critical well, to be remarkable as a business? Well, I think it's all about service. First of all, I think this is about not just about business, about human beings. I think once you understand that we're all in the service world mm-hmm. as human beings, as business people, we're about helping others. And so really taking that empathic, customer-focused view has been really the difference for us. What's the problem this person faces and how might I help them solve that problem? If you can identify that, then you can also identify people who can actually pay to have that problem solved. And that's a wonderful thing. So I, I really think it's, you know, we know this sort of, you know, address the pain issue, but I think you cannot do that without spending time with your customers. And, you know, I'm kind of a Martian, I'll tell you the truth. I don't really understand humans that well because I'm such a nerdy person. But to be <laughs> able to go on to, you know, movie studio lot and spend time watching people film movies and to go to a you know, TV production studio or go to a classroom, there's nothing like that firsthand knowledge. And talk to those people and, and just you know, ask them about what they do and, and what they struggle with. And so, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the big part that has changed my life. So kind of be an anthropologist. I think it's not a bad thing. Be, be naive, ask those naive questions. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, there's no problem. I don't know everything about everything. I, I know a lot about neuroscience, but I don't know mo- much about teaching or about making movies, but I'm curious about it yeah. and I'm curious how people do this. So keep that curiosity, sure. Yeah, curiosity, that's another one that is yeah, that's absolutely also, it's a, it's a chapter four in my book. It's critical because it doesn't only have to come, or it shouldn't only come from, from, the, from the leader, from the CEO, from the founder. The moment you create a culture of curiosity where everybody can step in, that's where you create far more leverage behind it. But that's an interesting area as well. So I think it's so critical. So creating that culture and signaling that culture and then hiring people who are innately curious and passionate about, about other people. I don't think you can really be in any business without being passionate about humans. I don't know. Maybe there are some you, you can, but for us who you know interact with, with clients and with colleagues, if you're not curious about other people, I don't know. What else is there to be curious about? <laughs> Well, at the end, it's about, yeah, what is, what is the opportunity you can pick up on? It's about seeing things, asking questions, daring to ask questions as well. What, what actually just brings to mind, I mean, do you use your own technology when you hire people just to figure out what resonates with them during a particular conversation or the, the recruitment conversation? Not to hire people, but we do do a lot of internal testing on ourselves. Uh-huh. So there's sort of technical reasons. So again, we measure productivity, we're measuring you right now. And when I'm trying to forecast if you're a good fit for your job, you know, I'm interacting with your personality traits, which neuroscience is not good at picking up and what's happening to you right now. So maybe you're just having a bad day and I should just, you know, interview you a couple of times. We do use our technology when we pitch all the time to clients and we just reveal in real time, like, you know what, we're trying to get better at our pitches. If we're now we're doing them remotely so we can record. And actually we refined our pitches enormously just based on our own data. But we always tell clients, hey, we, we, you know, three of us are here pitching to you and we're all wearing sensors and we're going to show you what that data looks like. Maybe we suck at this <laughs> or we just want to get better, right? Yeah. And so they're like, okay, I get it. So I, I think there's a, what we found sometimes is there's a fear of the word neuroscience. It, it must be really hard. 
But we've essentially democratized neuroscience where anyone can do it, do real neuroscience because we've done all the processing in the cloud. And then once people kind of get over that fear, like, oh, it, it's got to be hard or it's hard to interpret, you know, good or bad, and how do I make it better? I think everyone can get that. Yeah. So super um, simple. we do have to educate people, but that's why I'm talking to you. Yeah, I think nine out of 10, it will create a wow moment, which helps you to sell the products just by itself, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, what is your, one of the things that I keep talking about in my tribe as well is growth. What do you believe is holding you back from achieving your growth aspirations? Is that, has that to do with the technology or is it something else? That's a good question. I think it's two things. One is we have not been, you know, we're still working on that. How do we communicate that we're remarkable? So I'm definitely going to buy your book when we get off here and can't wait to read it. So I think, you know, it's capturing that wow moment. I think one of my favorite business books is Pine and Gilmore's The Experience Economy, which I think is okay. brilliant. And Joe Pine's become a friend. And so I think we're the measurement technology for the experience economy. If you yep. care about experiences, you've got to do something better than just ask people, do you like it? Like yep. just doesn't predict outcomes very well. So I think we're the measurement technology for the experience economy. So I think we have to educate the, the workplace, I mean, the, the, you know, the world about that. The second is we're just starting to scale up. So as you just said, we're spending a lot of time trying to hire the right people. So we have the right culture. We have people who are passionate about helping human beings and can communicate that passion to our clients and support those clients. Yeah, exactly. Well said. And I mean, I understand it's starting and it's, first of all, people, of course, they don't, they, I think for the nine out of 10 or possibly even more, when people see it, they, they won't believe it. And as a consequence, of course, no one is asking for this as well. And I agree with you that the, that the experience economy, question at the end is whether the experience economy is now as relevant as it was five, five six weeks ago before the crisis started. But that's an enormous opportunity with technology these days. And I think you are really fitting in with a, with a missing piece here. Because I know a couple of companies that have really started to dig into measuring the experiences from customers in the moment where they ask where they ask people. But also when you start asking people, what do you think about it? A lot of times people are polite and they say something different from what they really feel. Do you see that as well? Absolutely. So we say, you know, people lie and, and, and people lie because we ask them a question that's so hard to answer, right? What was in the moment, looking back half an hour ago or two days ago, what was, what was the feeling like when that sales associate showed you the product that you ended up buying? gosh, I don't know, you know, rate it from one to 10 compared to what could have my, compared to my dog that would, you know, probably die for me. I don't know. I mean, it, it's very, it's a very difficult question. So it's not that people like us are evil. It, it, we're just asking them the wrong question. Again, it's that sort of Freudian hangover. I'll, I'll get the right question. And I'll figure out what the truth is. So I think, you know, the, the takeaway for listeners is that, you know, asking people about their unconscious feeling states is, is kind of a fool's errand. There are measurement technologies. There are some in laboratories. There are ours. There are ways to get to this information, but, but you know, retrospective surveys are a pretty poor way to do it. True. Yeah. I agree with that. And that's good to know, you know, because at the end, that's, that was also, or that is also something that is now possible these days. And it's a great way to get far better than just guessing. So, I mean, it's all in respect, if, in respect to what, what you were used to, what the norm was. But here you take it to a complete new level. Well, from, from all the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over the, over the years that you've been busy with this, running your company, what would be an advice you'd give to, or to 
peer CEOs in your yeah in, in what you do? First of all, I don't think I'm an expert, so I'm just going to give you my personal experience, and uh, people <laughs> can accept or reject as they like. Sure. Like most technology companies, we've done a lot of pivots, and those pivots have been around really spending time with clients and make you know understanding that the market is right and we're not right. So really, kind of going into work without any ego at all and being humble and that's the first. And second is, is asking for help. I've become increasingly comfortable to, to talk to both colleagues and clients and say, look, I have a problem that I'm stuck on and I could use your help on this. And it's an amazing thing that sometimes people you barely know will put a huge amount of effort in to help you. And I think it's just okay. When I was younger, I just couldn't do it. I, I, don't, I don't know why. Pride maybe, some shortcoming. But just ask people. Or we have clients that we've lost. I talked to one a couple of days ago and I just said, you know, you guys were a perfect client and I know there's some funding issues you guys came up with. I'd love to get you back as a client. How do I do that? Just ask them. Yeah. You know, it, it seems so stupidly simple, but you know, don't have any pride. I just try to go to work without any pride every day. Because what do I know? I'm just a doofus, you know, trying to, trying to just make my way in the world like everybody else. I completely agree with that. And sometimes it's just like, yeah, the pride sits in the way. It's the resistance that you get from that. But pick up the phone, ask the question, and you'll, it, magic happens very often. Yeah. And if it's not, then it's not, you know, that it's also good. Then it wasn't meant to be. And we all see each other all the time, right? I mean, I always feel like even people who are not clients or like, we're all going to be friends. You know, we all see each other. The world's a very small place. Let's, all, let's just be kind to each other and help each other. And you know, you're not a good client for us. No problem. And even if I can help you with something else, I would be happy to do that if I can. So yeah, let's try to be more human. That's your, your goal too, I know. Yeah, it's a human plus. And you got the tool for that. I love that. To be even more human. Yeah. So what is next for you? Where do you, uh, where do you want to be in 12 months time? What is your aspiration? Yeah, we're really scaling up. So we've, I think, really nailed down, you know, which markets need us the most. And those are entertainment and this kind of live events, corporate training space. So it's really kind of petty training those markets learning from our, you know, our adopters in those markets that we have been, and then, you know, broadening our, our reach in those areas. So as you said, you know, with remote everything, at least for the, for the time being, there's so many open questions that we just don't know. How effective are remote meetings? How about my training? Is it, is it remotely effective? We're working with a very large online retailer that now is onboarding new employees at a very fast rate remotely. And so they've never done that. And, and that's just a, a heck of a hard problem. In which, you know, should I spend more time? Should I spend less time? Does the information get in their brains better remotely, less well remotely? Do I change the presentation style? There's so many, you know, really important questions that can affect not only business outcomes, but this company actually has very high turnover for, for entry-level employees and they're stressed about it. You know, they, they don't, they'd rather hire people they think are a good fit and invest training in them and have them, you know, be promoted through the company. But they're losing in the first year about half the people they hire, a little less than that, about 45%. That's amazing to me. Again, that's wasted resources. So it, it hurts my Scottish soul to see, you know, wasted resources and people's times, time and life and all that. So let's just get better at, at connecting. And I think we're the tool to, to do that. From what I've heard, absolutely. I'd love to use it myself at one point in time. So where can people oh, we'll find out? We'll... Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Where can people go okay. and uh, find, find out more about your company and connect with you and say hi? Easy to do. Get Immersion. 
getimmersion.com, G-E-T-I-M-M-E-R-S-I-O-N.com. You can find my email on there. I'd love to take emails from people if you've got questions. And yeah, I think it's, it's an amazing technology. It's a huge part of my, you know, almost all my professional life is into this. So if you can't tell I'm enthusiastic, I'm enthusiastic. It's really an amazing experience. So yeah, please, people, reach out to me. Happy to interact with you. Very good. Well, this was fascinating. I mean, first of all, from a technology perspective, I'm a little bit of a geek. I'm always, I'm doing this podcast now for almost two and a half years, close to 120 interviews so far. And it keeps amazing me what is possible just by, yeah, seeing things and starting to, yeah, to think different about them. Because I mean, emotions, we have, I mean, emotion has been around for millions of years, possibly. And now with technology, we can start to do useful things with that and allow everybody to have a better life, allow businesses to drive, to, to run better, to create better products. And that has huge potential. So thanks for this. Thanks for, thanks for sharing and thanks for building this. Thank you, Ton. Well, I think you're remarkable. I'm a fan of what you're doing and I look forward to staying in touch with you. We will absolutely do that. And this ends my interview with Paul. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And please share what you thought about this episode. And if you liked it and got inspired by it, Please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Paul Zak, founder and chief immersion officer at Immersion. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls-Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.